you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. We're going to look at verses 44 through 49. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us grasp something of this promise and this power that comes from on high. Uh, Father, that as we think about fulfilling the commission you've given us, that we would understand where its power comes from. We would understand whose gospel this is, and we would understand who we are as conduit of your ministry of salvation to the nations. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would comfort us in the promise of the Holy Spirit that's been given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you how confident you are in the mission that God has given you to take the gospel, to take the message of the suffering of Christ and his resurrection for repentance and forgiveness of sins to the end of ends of the earth, if that's what we've been given as Christians, that's what we looked at last week, and we have been given that, every one of us, if I were to ask you, how do you rate your confidence in fulfilling that call on your life? Every believer will give an account to their faithfulness in what God has left us to do here on this earth. The moment we were saved, he could zap us up to heaven, but he hasn't done that. He's left us to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And I'm guessing many of you would say, I'm not real confident in my ability to fulfill what God has called us to do. Jeremiah 17.5 says this. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. If I were to ask you, you know, what's keeping you from sharing the gospel, you're probably going to point to your weakness and your lack of uh, knowing the answers to the possible questions. And when we think that way, though, we forget that God has not commissioned us and set us on mission to do this in our own strength and in our own wisdom. Jeremiah rightly says, Cursed is the man who makes 
flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like the shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in a parched in parched places of the wilderness and in the uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes and its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. How foolish would we be to embark on what seems to be and what would be an impossible mission without God in our own strength and in our own wisdom, by our own calculations, we would be crazy. Isaiah in Isaiah 2.22 says, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Imagine if you were given a car, a wonderful car, looked great, but the catch was it's only going to drive for a half a mile. Then it'll never work again. You would say, well, although it looks impressive, it looks like a great gift, what good is it if it's only going to go half a mile? Isaiah says, stop, stop trusting in man. Who is he? God has given him a breath. And then, if he's going to be anything else, he needs another one from God. How far can man go on his own? As long as you can survive on one breath. And then you're in need of God again. And so, when we think about what the disciples have been given, they've been given so much. They have been given three years with Christ. The fellowship, the love, the teaching they've got to experience. When we look at what we looked at last week, how the gospel or how the, the disciples were given the gospel to proclaim to the nations. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. Now they know he's resurrected. Now they understand the Old Testament. Now they see how it all points to Jesus. You can imagine that their joy and their confidence just starts to build as they finally begin to understand what the whole Old Testament scriptures are about. Let's look at this again. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is Luke 24, 45. And said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed, should be proclaimed, should be heralded, shall be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. That's your commission. That's your mission. You're to be proclaimers of the truth. You're to be proclaimers of what the whole Old Testament is culminating to, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. As they searched the Scriptures looking for life, Jesus says, it's they that point to me. And now they get it. Now they get what they've been called to do. So the Great Commission requires heralding the gospel, preaching the gospel. You know, sometimes we talk about 
gospel conversations. And some pulpits have turned into a conversation pulpit. You know, the pastor sits on a fancy little stool and just kind of, let's just talk about things. And it's not that there's never conversations we have. They ought just never be just like any other conversation. That word to proclaim means there's a king. There's an authority out there. And Christ is the king. And he's coming back and everyone will be accountable to him. Which means our gospel conversations, if we're going to call them that, cannot be minus the heralding of the good news. The scripture doesn't just invite us to Christ, but commands us to repent and believe in Christ. You see? And so the Great Commission requires preaching. And the disciples must have been ready to go. After they understand it, after they see their purpose and why they're here, they must have been ready just to go start this mission. But look at verse 49. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. So the Great Commission requires a promise being fulfilled. A promise being fulfilled. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And let's look at God's promise to Abraham and his covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and to your and your father's house to a land that I will show you. He's promised land. He says, go, Abram, I'm going to give you land. And as we see this promise continue throughout the Old Testament, There's a promised land where God's people will finally be able to rest and be protected from their enemies. There will be no more war. There will be rest. And so we see that Abraham was promised a land. And I'll make you a great nation. He was promised offspring. He was promised uh, a seed. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Land. He was promised. He was promised offspring and he was promised to be a blessing to the nations. And we see this continually uh, repeated throughout the Old Testament. And we can read Isaiah and see how God is going to send a light to the Gentiles and they're going to be blessed. And then though, when we look at Galatians chapter 3, we see a fulfillment of this promise. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So we might say, okay, there it is. It's Christ Jesus. But then he goes on, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The blessing that 
the world gets, those who trust in Christ get, is the promised Holy Spirit. He is the fulfillment to a promise to Abraham. The Holy Spirit, this blessing that's going to go to all the nations, is fulfilled uh, by the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. In fact, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul speaks of it this way. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The prophet Ezekiel spoke of the Holy Spirit promise of the Spirit like this, Ezekiel 36, 24. I'll take you from the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols I'll cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. In the old covenant, there was the promise of a new covenant. And the culmination of that promise is not just the Spirit of God that works upon people like He did in the Old Testament, but that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell, indwell a believer. And that when that happens, a person will be caused to walk in God's statutes and obey His rules. And that stony heart will be caused to come alive. Jesus pointed to this in John 3. In verse 3, this is a familiar text for, for you. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born Again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' way of saying, unless you're born like the one is born in Ezekiel 36, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Where the water was described as cleansing us from our sins and the spirit was promised to be put into man. And then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So here's the question. Is the Great Commission in fle a fleshly mission? Is it something that is of the flesh or is it something that is of the Spirit? Because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And we've been given a spiritual mission that cannot be done by your power or your wisdom or your cleverness, but can only be done by the Spirit of God. 
gone. Which should be a comfort to you. So when you say, well, I'm weak and I'm not smart and I'm no, I don't know enough and I don't. Well, the good news is, is this mission wasn't tossed to the disciples and said, go have at it. I trust in you. You can do it on your own. That's not what he said. What he said was, I'm sending my promise upon you. And then he says this, but stay. It's another way of saying stop. So they hear the commission. They must have been ready to go fulfill it. And they need to learn something. Something that Peter is starting to learn. You can't do it in your own flesh. You can't be confident in yourself. This ministry is not a ministry that can be done by just mere willpower and passion and zeal. It's not enough. You can have the most zealous preacher or teacher and if and he could teach the absolute truth and if the Spirit of God doesn't work in a person's heart, nothing will be done. It's a ministry that cannot be done in our own flesh. The way Paul starts the book of Galatians is he argues that he didn't get this gospel from any man. Peter didn't teach it to him. James didn't teach it to him. John didn't teach it to him. God supernaturally taught, gave Paul a vision of Christ and then taught him. And, And God taught Paul. And then several years later, he met up with the disciples and guess what? They have the same gospel. And so he starts out Galatians and he says, this isn't man's gospel. And not only is it not man's gospel, it's the gospel of God. The outworking of this ministry is going to be done by the power of God. You see, Christ is the fulfillment of the scriptures. This is God's gospel. This is God's news. Christ is God's son. And the power of this ministry is going to be through God's spirit, which should be a comfort to you and to myself because this ministry requires power. He, he gives us a little more information in Acts 1.6. So Luke wrote Acts. And here's what he says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Essentially, they don't, get it yet. They don't totally understand uh, the mission. They, they think they're at the end when they're really at the beginning. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the father's fixed by his own authority. He didn't say it already is restored to Israel. He says it's not for you to know. And then he says this though, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There's the mission in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that should have been the clue to them that this wasn't going to be done in a week or two. Because how in the world are they going to get to the ends of the earth in a week or two? But their mission is clear. It's not for them to know when the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. They're to be witnesses of the gospel. It's very clear. He doesn't give them a checklist to all these things. He summarizes their mission as being witnesses of this gospel to the ends of the earth. And how silly might we be to try to do it in our own strength and in our own power. When in Luke 4.14, 4, 
we read this. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out about him throughout all the surrounding country. And as you read the Gospel of Luke, what do you see? Jesus did his ministry on this earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, being the incarnate God in the flesh, has to hit, live his life in, on this earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. How much more? How foolish are we when we try to do it on our own? How foolish are we when we start with an argument and we try to wrestle someone into a spiritually good spot before we pray and ask God to work? How foolish are we when we try everything first in our own strength and then say, well, maybe we should start praying or fasting about what God wants for us. And so it's no surprise when we read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, this is the one most people think of when they think of the Great Commission. Luke really summarizes it down in one verse. But Matthew 28, 18, he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is no power outside of Christ. There is no authority outside of Christ. And then what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wait a minute. Jesus ascended up to heaven right as they're being commissioned in Acts 1. What does he mean, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age? Well, you know the answer, right? What did he promise to send them? His own spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent to them. And the presence of Christ is going to live inside them through the faith that the Holy Spirit has awakened in their hearts. And so he says, stay, don't go. You can't do this on your own. They needed to learn that. You say, why didn't he give them the power right away? I think it's because they had to see how this ministry is going to unfold. And what happens at Pentecost as the Spirit comes upon them? God does a supernatural miracle uh, and, and even makes a sound and has... Uh, you know, you, tongues of fire above their head. It's a, it's a visible miracle that shows the Spirit coming upon them. And the reason why we know that it worked is because you read Acts and what do you see? You know, and, and 3,000 were added to their number. And all of a sudden the church starts to grow and starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger as the Spirit of God is at work in uh, the apostles as they preach and in the disciples as they unleash the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit power because what is the goal of preaching the gospel? That someone who is a rebel of God will be turned into a worshiper of God. There needs to be a conversion. And the Holy Spirit is the one who has converting power. Let me take a huge load off your shoulders. You can't save anyone. And I can't save anyone. We're called to be faithful with a very clear commission, which is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. You can do that. But you can't bring about 
the growth that only the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can bring a spiritually dead heart to life. Let me show you this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.4. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, he says, Paul says, For we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Okay, God's at work in their salvation. Because how do, how do we know that he has chosen you? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's how we know you're chosen. That's how we know you were elect. Because other people hear the exact same message and say, not for me, I'm not interested. But I'm writing to you, church at Thessalonica, because I know you were chosen, because when we preached, it wasn't just a word, it was power with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. For the great commission to go out, those who are commissioned need joy because much affliction is going to come. Much suffering is going to come because of your message, because you carry the name of Christ. When Christ showed up, they crucified him. He said, if they hate me, they'll hate you. But he says, we know you are chosen because you've received it with full conviction. You started imitating us and the Lord, and you had the joy of the Holy Spirit. You will not continue on in the mission God has given you if you don't have the joy of the Holy Spirit. You can't give yourself enough pep talks. You can't do enough positive thinking to keep yourself committed to the Great Commission without the Holy Spirit because you'll despair and all joy will be gone. The way Paul tells this to the Galatians as they were miraculously converted and born again. The new birth happened and then they decided to start now trying to please God in the flesh by their own strength and their own wisdom, kind of leaving the gospel behind. And here's what he says to them, Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I love that definition of preaching the gospel. <laughs> he was publicly portrayed as crucified. He was preached in such a way that you saw the crucified Christ. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? You see their error? They didn't become good enough and then all of a sudden they received the Holy Spirit. But they listened to the gospel and believed in it and spiritual power of conversion became a reality in their life. But now they've been bewitched. Now they've been <laughs> led astray as they started in the spirit. Now they're trying to proceed in the flesh. The Spirit also makes Christ's presence with us tangible so we don't give up. That's why he says in Matthew 28 that I'll never leave you. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. If, if Christ sends us out and he's not with us, we just won't continue. We won't have the power to uh, fulfill the ministry 
but we also won't have the presence of Christ, the love of Christ dwelling in us. Look at Ephesians 3 quickly. We'll look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul says, this is why I pray for you. This is why. Listen to what he prays for. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. For what? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you may have the strength to comprehend by the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, so that Christ will dwell inside of you. And then he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. And then he says, now to him who is able to do. To do. He's not just praying that they know, but they must know before they overflow. So they need to know the love of Christ. But then look at what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. To so it's his power in us. You see, we actually go do it, but it's his power in us that fulfills this ministry. And, and so he ends rightly, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then you have John 14 through 16. And I wish we had all day to go through this and see how Jesus promises the Spirit as he's getting ready to commission them and encourage them and tell them how it's actually better. So just hang with me. I'm going to read fast and listen hard because we're at the end of the sermon. It's easy to daydream now. But this is too good. Here's what he says. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Christian, listen to those words. To be with you forever. Jesus is going to send the Spirit to them, and he'll be with them forever. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For I am with you. What a promise. But he's going to send a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because he neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The indwelling hasn't come yet. He's with you now, but on the day of Pentecost, he's going to be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Has he ascends into heaven? Is he a cruel Christ? Has he just left them as orphans in this world? He has not. And then verse 23 of John 14, Jesus answered, if, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. How does Paul say it? That he may sit down, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. That God, through the Spirit, 
dwells inside. We're going to make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. How do we know that what Paul said was the Holy Spirit's words? Because he was promised by Jesus to remind them of these things to, so that when they write the epistles and the letters, and then John writes Revelation, that it's the Spirit of God. It's actually God's words as John is writing. He will teach you all things, bring them to your remembrance, all that I've said to you. Peace I, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is crazy because they're about to be persecuted. But when you receive Christ, you enter your rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the land promised to Abraham. A person finds rest when they find Christ. All of our enemies are defeated when we find Christ, in Christ. And so he says, peace I leave, leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't be afraid. As I ascend and I go, you don't be afraid. I'm sending the Spirit to you. And then, John 14, we say, well, that's all about the Holy Spirit. Well, you got John 15 where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches, right? And then what does he say there? He says, abide in me and I in you. How does he abide in us? In the Spirit. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing in fulfilling the mission God gave you unless it's done in the power of Christ through the indwelling Spirit of Christ living inside you and I. You realize that? That's why John 15 is where it is. And then you get to John 16. Or 15, 26. He says, but when the Helper comes, I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bear witness about him. And this is what the Spirit came to do. And the Spirit comes to live inside us to empower our witness. Except we can't turn the lights on. Only the Holy Spirit can. The best preacher in the world will get no converts apart from the Spirit of God bringing about life where there was only death. And, in, and then he says in verse 27, and you also will bear witness. This is John 15, 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. When he ascends into heaven, he wants them to know about the Holy Spirit so they don't fall away. They will, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're he is offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What a statement. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin. No salvation apart from conviction of sin. 
No repentance for the forgiveness of sins without a heart that's convicted. The Spirit doesn't just have to show people Christ. The Spirit convicts them through the Word of God of their sins. He'll convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So what does the Spirit do? Convicts of sin, points to righteousness, which is Christ, and it's proven because He's risen to the right hand of God. He's in the presence of God. Only righteous can sit at God's right hand. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and doesn't say, you dog, you're worthless. You better do all these works and you better punish yourself. You better do all this. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit convicts of sin and then takes you to the Savior. Takes you to your righteousness that you need. And then, Reminds us of the importance of this. This isn't just something you should try because God is the judge of the world. Christ is the judge. You'll either be found in Christ's righteousness or without any as you swing out into eternity on your own. And so we need the Spirit to fulfill this ministry for spiritual understanding, for hope. Do you need hope to fulfill the Great Commission? Listen to Galatians 5.5. For through the Holy Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Where's your hope going to come from? Through the Holy Spirit, by faith. You'll give up if you do it on your own. You'll just have enough. You'll start trying it in your own righteousness and you'll bury yourself. The Spirit says, come. How does the Bible end? Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. We call sinners to come to Christ to receive Christ, to turn from their sins and find life. And it's not just you who's calling, but the Spirit is calling. So even our invitation, let the one who hears say come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take water of life without price. And you can see the last point there. The Great Commission requires preaching, the fulfillment of the promise of the giving of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit where we could, let's be honest, we could spend months on all that the Spirit does for the believer. But you say, I don't see prayer in the text. Well, this is one of those points that is inherent that that you can't see in the words. But when he says stay and stop, what is he saying? You can't do it on your own. You need God and prayer. You can know your heart is understanding who you are and what you need best when you find yourself praying. Because what are you going to do on your own? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we're called to take the gospel to the nations, we're not just to go proclaim, but we're to pray and ask the Spirit of God to help us, to give us wisdom. You say, what does it mean 
to live in the power of the Spirit or to walk with the Spirit or so to the Spirit. It means what you do is you open your Bible and you look at the Spirit's words. The Spirit wrote that Bible. And you ask the Spirit for the faith to believe what you see and be faithful with it. You see? We're not looking for visions and clouds. We're not looking for this or that. We're looking at the Spirit's words. That's what it means to walk with the Spirit in Galatians 5, to sow to the Spirit in Galatians 6. What's he telling them to do? To go back to the gospel that they're leaving. And so we must pray. Jude says this, Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. See, even in our prayers, we need to be in the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul says to Jude, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Psalm 118.7 says this, The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So we've been given a spiritual ministry, a spiritual commission. And as you feel inadequate, I say, good. Get in your Bible. Start praying for opportunities. Pray for the courage to speak up and watch God do what He does. And what He'll show you is, is not that you're impressive. So often He'll show you, in spite of my bumbling and my stumbling, He works and He gets the glory. Father, thank You so much for the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you that we can have the presence of Christ here with us even now. That Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith because of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. Father, I thank you that Christ didn't send us the Spirit for a moment, but forever. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to this commission because we look away from ourselves and look to the one who empowers this mission. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.